This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. With me this week are two splendid individuals, Nick White. Hey. And Kara Shamborski. Student Meenage Needle Teetles. Student Meenage Needle Teetles. Student Meenage Needle Teetles. I'm so excited for this show. <laughs> Yes, this week we are talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It's going to be an amazing episode. This is our first episode of year four of I Read Comic Books. I'm absolutely overwhelmed because this topic is fantastic. I'm here with two amazing people, and quite honestly, I'm just excited to record this show. I'm excited every week, but this week I'm extra jazzed. I don't know why. So before we start all that, let me ask the question that I ask every single week. How have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Kara. Teetles. So, um, <laughs> sorry. There's a there's a Tumblr post from Sky Machine that just says "Tutant Meenage Needle Teetles," and ever since I saw that, I can't think of them in any other form. So, if you start talking about turtles, my brain just goes Teetles. We we had a big. I remember when so, someone posted that in our big chat, and we just went off on that idea. That was me. And. <laughs> We all started taking. We started taking teenage mutant ninja turtle personality quizzes. It really spiraled. Out. <laughs> it was so fantastic. I honestly, it like inspired this episode. I think just so beautiful. Um, yeah. So because I was so jazzed about Teetles, I read Tootin Meenage Needle Teetles Classics Volumes One and Two, which are uh, collections of some of the early titles comics so volume one is mirage studios issue 13 plus this shell shock trade that they did and then volume two is issues um 16 22 and 23 because that's such a such a numbering. weird scattering of issues yeah uh i think nick knows more about that than i do but it's really weird like obviously these these issues have been published and recollect you know recollected and republished and you know now the colors have been redone and now the pencils have been re like it's it's been retouched and redone a whole bunch of times and so uh, when it gets published it's kind of a hot mess people who are like oh i want to go back and read the originals like We'll talk about this more later, but it's actually super confusing shit, and you need to pay close attention. Otherwise, you'll be picking up volume one, which, as Kara said, next thing you know, you're reading issue 13 and then issue 22. And, uh, yeah, I'm just looking out for people who want to be real fans. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm so. curious, like, are are they packaged together based around a theme? Or, I mean, tell us about what you read and why you liked it and all that stuff, and maybe we'll find oh, a theme boy. in there. Okay, so volume two is all the same story just spread across multiple issues where it's this this little girl who was born super smart because her dad took this job at this multinational conglomerate where he was basically working on like a smart serum and her mom was pregnant at the time and they were all exposed to these chemicals but she was born looking like a crazy deformed alien but super smart and okay. in the future year of 1995 uh, yeah she uh she's approached by this actual alien who tells her that that the earth is like destined for doom and if she goes back in time with like a time machine that she's invented that looks like a cube then she can save humanity essentially by making humanity um more peaceful and like docile so she goes back like two million years to uh of like a proto-human who looks kind of like a very muscular ape and gives him like 
vegetables and a lazy boy chair and just like stuff to make <laughs> stuff to make contradictory, but I mean that's fine. Uh, stuff to make <laughs> yeah. life really good. And um, she goes back in her time machine to 1995, and the alien is still there, and the alien's just like, uh, well, uh, cool. And uh, now humanity is like great and peaceful and stuff, which means we can invade. And, oh no! Yes, right. So, <laughs> for those wondering, we are actually still talking about Ninja Turtles. Your 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 feed didn't cut out or anything. Yeah, right. Your, your no, no, no. So, didn't skip. right. So the turtles this is still turtles. The turtles come in because time travel paradoxes. We actually the story starts with her showing up in this cube, like to tell the turtles thank you, and they have no context, and she's like, "Oh right, we haven't met yet." Oh my and goodness! That's so, <laughs> so fucking she's comic books. burying the lead, and so Jeez. she shows up like looking like a little girl. And so as the story progresses, you find out like how she ended up looking like a little girl, and like how everything like gets sorted. But the whole thing was like by the third issue, they had a two-page text-heavy recap of what had happened oh, no. because that's how complicated it was. And I was just like, "What?" So this was just telling me that the turtles comics um the early ones are just bonkers like if you're used to the turtles from like the movies or the cartoons you're used to like a certain level of normalcy for the fact that they are teenage ninja turtles <laughs> sure like, they're ninjas once you get over that hurdle it's like yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah but like the comics are wild volume one is all over the place um there's an introduction in volume one by um where is it eastman where he's like introing these stories and how um, after the first like few issues, they were getting other creators to tell stories about the turtles. And that's okay. how they really started exploring like the, the different personalities of them and everything. Mm-hmm. And um, specifically says that one of the stories in this volume one is because one of these creators approached him saying like, there's not enough babes in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> oh, and I was no. like, excuse you <laughs> oh my so, goodness so the first uh story in this volume is basically like these two wannabe space queens having a cat fight in like central park in front of the turtles and the turtles are like fighting other aliens while this is happening and this really was just like between this story and like looking through comics coming out this week to decide what i wanted to read the most I'm just like, like I shouldn't be surprised, but I'm like re-surprised that the majority of comic book artists don't understand boobs. Like fundamentally, Mm. there's a misconception about how boobs work. And it like really bothers me. Cause like there, someone made a, a wonderful diagram about how to draw boobs, which I thought was, and I don't remember who it was. I'll, I'll have to track it down, but I remember seeing it getting retweeted a lot, and it was like, "Please, artists, it is not complicated." And it was like four panels for yeah. various, like I don't know, ways that a, like a woman's breast sits. Been you know, Jim Sub, but maybe I'm coming out of nowhere on this. But maybe it, it's maybe. basically like if it if it looks like there are just two volleyballs floating on there, you're doing it wrong. Right. And that's what the this situation is with these babes. And they're both in like these tight outfits and these corsets. I'm like, your tits would be sagging all over the place. And that's normal because that's what happens. <laughs> but I'm just saying like, 
the porn industry is giving everyone really unrealistic expectations about the female anatomy and comic artists are not helping. Mm -hmm. So that's my feedback on that. It's still related to the turtles. And (laughs) (laughs) then we go to like, oh man, there's this story that I was the whole time I'm reading it. I'm like, wow, this is like a PSA. And at the, at the end of it, they reveal that it's actually a PSA because it's like Master Splinter runs across this guy who's like down and out because he doesn't read so well and he's afraid about his job prospects. So the whole issue is Splinter telling him about all of the different resources available to him as an adult to Mm -hmm. like get his GED and learn how to read better. And that was not what I was expecting. Wow. And, I mean, it's kind of nice, though, right? Yeah, it was really, really sweet. But I was also like, what is happening? Uh, there's like this story about um, one of the turtles. I can't tell by glancing because this is when all their like masks were the same color. Mm-hmm. Um, is helping this Chinese immigrant kid who's getting bullied at school. And he's like struggling because his dad is a pacifist and he really wants to like honor his dad and be a pacifist too. But then he's also like getting beat up every day. So he's like learning from his turtle friend that it's okay to fight back in terms of defense because like that's better than just letting yourself get injured all the time. Right. Um, And sounds like a Leo story to me. Uh, I don't think it was. It was okay. Um, God, yeah. I hope it I wasn't Raphael. Probably not. Yeah. The best no, it wasn't Raphael. Wait, it looks yeah. like Donnie because there's okay. a bow staff in there. Yeah, he he knows okay. a thing or two about getting picked on, so I'm sure yeah. I'm sure it was Donnie. Yeah, but that also like, and then and like the the epilogue is them like kind of like hanging out and learning from one another for a while, and I was like, mm-hmm. yes, because they're teenagers, so maybe sometimes they could hang out with other teenagers. And then, (laughs) listen, the rest of the stories in this are wild and not what you would expect. There's a story, and the whole story is, and I'm going to read to you from this panel, uh, wow, the legendary Excalibur, Sword of King Arthur. I didn't think of it it or Arthur were really real, Splinter (laughs) says. They are both real and legendary. Uh, and then, but how did Arthur's sword wind up sunk in Central Park's pond? Then Splinter goes, it was lost, then found, and finally, foolishly disposed of. By whom and why is not important, only that it is here, below us. Are you ready to dive, Leonardo? And the issue is Leo fighting, like, a squid monster in the pond in Central Park to reclaim Excalibur. And they never mention it again. They're just float like they're floating off in their boat, holding Excalibur. Sure. Splinter says, "You did well, my son. What was lost is found again." So, canonly, the turtles have Excalibur somewhere below New York. That's good to know. That's it's good very, for my big yarn board that I have. It's very good to know. And then the one other story that I really want to talk about because it just kind of blew my mind is mm-hmm. um, Mikey has a trippy nightmare that he's a turtle like a non-mutated turtle who's like seeking food and he gets picked up by a human and he grows smaller and smaller in the human's hand while the human is like telling him life is limited therefore our wants must be also and like talking about like conservation but 
it's like Weird. really tr- like in the non blink of its eyes you're here one day but gone the next turtle you're next and it just gets smaller and smaller until he wakes up freaking out because it's a nightmare yeah and it's just like it's so darkly illustrated it look like before you realize that he's just having a bad dream it just looks like something that you'd see in like swamp thing wow it, this is why no right. one should listen to MGMT. Okay, it's very clear. Good God, <laughs> it is. It's just wild. And then there's like there's, there's like a few other stories, but between that and then like there's one that's kind of similar to that nightmare one, mm-hmm. where it's like Splinter meditating and going through all these really gorgeous, lush panels about finding inner peace, but also being conflicted about the things that he's afraid of and responsibility. And he like faces this really pagan animalistic version of death. And it's so crazy. Uh, okay. I don't know if you're convincing me to read this or trying to scare me yeah. from reading this. Um. Well, it's just like, like when, like everyone you've mentioned Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and people have a specific idea in their head. And typically that's of one of the cartoons or the movies where it's like kind of goofy and fun and you know like each of the brothers personalities yeah but these early comics got into some weird shit yeah, and yeah. Like i mean really we'll like go different genres i think we'll you know we'll go into it after the break i think we'll go like real we're gonna go real deep on teenage ninja turtles so i don't want to like get into the full discussion here right yet. but that uh, it, but that is what i just read that's what i'm saying like yeah yeah stay tuned folks there's a lot more <laughs> <laughs> right oh cool but i this I'm oh, I'm interested enough that I just want to witness this to prove that you're not just making this up. Uh. <laughs> yeah, the real scary part is when we finally discover that like not like none of what Kara said actually happens, and, uh, <laughs> and then we have to figure out where this came from. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, Nick, what about you? Well, how have you been? How have comic books been? All that. <sighs> I'm I'm all right. I'm still on the tail end of the cold that I had uh, last week when I was temporarily uh, mute on the uh, annual episode. Uh, yeah. And beyond that, uh, they're saying that the snowfall we'll be getting this week is supposed to be as bad as around Christmas. So oh, I'm like boy. terrified because um, I'm like 98 and I go home and I watch Lawrence Welk. And I talk about the weather unironically with a large amount of people. Uh, <laughs> and and this will probably shock nobody, but I am um, very clumsy and accident prone. So uh, anything involving like falling in snowbanks or slipping on ice or anything you've seen in, in any of the Home Alone movies, like um, I'm pretty certain I, I, I've done like the mocap for, for some of that. Um, so uh, I'm very anxious uh about uh the future weather so uh but beyond that i I have actually read some books uh when i'm not falling on my back uh which uh, did happen a few weeks ago so um, nick come to california it's 75 and sunny today oh my god (laughs) black ice is so terrifying thank thank you i I might have to do that um (laughs) oh man uh so uh I, i read bloodshot salvation number five Last uh, the last issue was an origin story, and I think only had Miko Suwayan on art. Uh, but this one has Jeff Lemire writing with Louis Larosa sharing art duties with Miko Suwayan. Um, Valiant likes to do this thing a lot, where um, if you place a book in two different time eras, they'll actually bring on uh, two different artists to handle the respective eras, um, which I really like. And you don't see this as much with other um, publishers, mm-hmm. uh, which which is unfortunate because I think it's a nice touch and. You know, um, when you 
obviously pair up the right person with the right era, you can really set or evoke a proper tone for both. So in this, we've got um, La Rosa is doing... La Rosa is present day, I think. And yeah, La Rosa is present day and Suean is the future. And we're returning to uh, a Ray or Bloodshot who uh, has had the off switch flipped on his nanites. There's this guy called the Scarred Man who I talked about in that um, prequel issue. And mm-hmm. he's, it's sort of like, what's the name of that stupid story? Two guys out in California and the one is really dumb and big and the other one's sort of small and smart. Goofus and, and Gallant? No, 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 no. It's um, Grapes of Wrath. Is that it? Maybe. I've never read it. This is so embarrassing. I can't think of this now. Anyway, it was a play. Oh, boy. Anyway. The Death of a Salesman? No. (laughs) This is the first play you go with. Yeah, I'll 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 have to think about that. I'll I'll come back <laughs> yeah. to that because I knew this yeah. at one point. Anyway, it's it's an it's analogous to that. You've got these two brothers, and the older one is more or less being transformed into Bloodshot's rival, uh, Rampage, at the same time that the younger brother, uh, the Scarred Man, is attempting to shut down all the other people that have nanites uh, and sort of rein them in. Mm-hmm. So the issue has a lot to do with that. And really, it's it's just really worth worth it to read this, just because uh, you get Louis Larosa, uh, who did that awesome arc of Bloodshot Reborn, where it was sort of a Mad Max future. Uh, yeah. and you've got him doing drawing Ninjak again, because Ninjak is featured prominently in this issue, uh, and that alone is is worth it just for that. Beyond that, I read Wildstorm Eight. Uh, this was a, a like let me put a PSA out here on this book from Warren Ellis and John Davis Hunt. You can still read this book month to month. That's fine. Do not bank issues of this book, especially if you stop mid-arc and try to come back to this book. Oh, boy. Yeah, I agree. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Don't don't do it. Read read this book full arcs at a time or month to month. Uh the wild storm is way too smart of a book to just try to be like oh yeah who are these people again and it's like welcome back here's our cast of 45 people have fun Isn't oh yeah it's Warren a big Ellis book usually writes though um yeah but this seems worse than normal yeah i would say the the closest comparison to some of his recent work would be like injection but injection revolves around five people or four people five people see it's hard to keep track with just five people and with the Wildstorm, there's a cast of at least seven, eight, ten people that you need to know, um, and they're all prominent characters. Uh, even even with Michael Cray getting his own book, it's still it's still tough to keep track of some of it. If you don't read it regular, like on a on, either on a very refined schedule, like Nick said, month to month, mm-hmm. or in batches of issues. Also, that thing I book I couldn't think of was of mice and men. So there we go. Uh, by oh, the okay. way, uh, Kalamazoo College, you can show up and take my literature degree because apparently that's <laughs> it's totally up for grabs now. Uh, so yeah, that book is amazing. Uh, Kara, if you haven't read that book, I would definitely recommend it, especially for someone who's um, you know game for a DC deep dive. I don't know if you're up for oh, yeah. Wildstorm deep dive, but uh, I mean, it's equal parts actually- DC and. I actually have very limited knowledge of Wildstorm. I know they were... That's probably good. What was it, like, (laughs) acquired by DC at some point over the last, like, 15 years? And then they were starting to incorporate the characters in a little bit? Yeah, I think it was was folded into the New 52 um, because they acquired it, I think, 
that's something weird to do with. I think parts of it went off to Image for a bit and mm. with so, Jim Lee, and then I was gonna say. So I think the way that it all worked out was it was originally an imprint and Image, and then it was purchased by Vertigo, and which you know which is owned by DC, but it became part of the Vertigo universe. And then when they folded back, it became Vertigo its own imprint DC, too. Yeah it, yeah, it was its own imprint under Vertigo, and then mm-hmm. it became folded into Vertigo, which Vertigo then got folded back into DC, and now Vertigo's its own thing. But this this book, Wildstorm, I believe is being published under the DC imprint, but it's it's not like in the rest of the continuity, I think. Well, that yeah, it's definitely not given the Michael Cray story. Mm. I think it's its own imprint in the same way the young animal is functioning, but I don't remember what this, yeah. I don't know if this one has its own name, but it does play in and out of the DC universe, which is what makes it interesting. So I think Superman's in it at one point and um, Grifter is in it um, amongst other characters. So mm-hmm. uh, it's weird. Um, let's see what else. Uh, I read Secret Weapon Zero, finally. This is written by Eric Hessier. There might be an extra er. We'll have to get him to... Uh, we'll have to get the correct pronunciation on that with Adam Polina on art. First off, I'm kind of sad that it's not Raul Allen on art, but I realize Same. scheduling shit happens. Um, I think Allen is coming back for the Owen one shot, so I'm excited for that. It, this was an interesting issue. Um, I think a lot of us finished Secret Weapons and really desperately wanted more. And Valiant was like, well, we could maybe do like a huge on you know ongoing series or something like that, but we're still relatively talking about it largely small group of characters um and so we're doing these weird little one shots and this one follows nikki finch and i think what's really interesting about this story is that we sort of get an interesting perspective on the harbinger foundation like what it means to apply to be part of the harbinger foundation which for those who don't follow valiant again this is vaguely comparable to xavier's school for cool kids or whatever it's called i don't fucking care that's exactly what it's um, called yeah thank you and uh x for extreme (laughs) (laughs) yes yeah, so you, 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 you get to see this application process and you sort of get to see how Harbinger spins the foundation to people who aren't uh, like in the know about the fact that like this, um, again, for those unaware, unlike X-Men, like uh, your powers largely have to be um, artificially activated by a machine and it kills three out of four people. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So you sort of get to see her go in and out of that, and and I thought that was really fascinating. Um, I love the panel structure for this book. It's largely most pages are just four long rectangular panels on each page, uh, and in the upper left hand corner, it just subtly shows you the date as the you know as the weeks and months go by as she applies and then gets let in and then finds out that her powers aren't telekinesis or, or pyrokinesis or. Uh, any of the kinesis but uh, mm-hmm. instead she can talk to birds which is still fucking awesome it's the coolest power hands down i'm looking at like four birds right now in my backyard that i'd like to be able to ask them like what their deal is because i've never <laughs> exactly. seen species before i want that power right now mm-hmm. exactly so they're they're disappointed about it and i'm like dude there are way worse fucking powers out there come on <laughs> 
really excited for Owen's story, um, especially because I think there's just limitless potential for that. Because for those who forget or don't know, Owen's power is that he has the ability to make an object just randomly apparate at any point. Uh, the problem is he has no control over what that object turns out to be. And he really doesn't have complete control over when it shows up. Right. Even though, minor spoilers, at the end of Secret Weapons, they sort of maybe hint at the fact that not everybody's powers, um, their powers can be amplified and refined, question mark. So you need to read Secret Weapons, end of story. It sounds like you're getting into some growth mindset stuff there. Like, he can't control it yet. You know? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Also, wait. So going back super briefly to that girl who can talk to birds and like that's her Nikki power. Nikki Finch. Yeah. 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 Um, that makes her a Disney princess. I'm pretty sure. Like that's oh, yeah. Snow White or Cinderella or Sleeping Beauty shit right there. Isn't that a, yeah, it's a Snow White thing, right? Where the birds sort of, well, I guess that's a whole bunch of them. Yeah. It's a, it's, it, it comes with the Disney princess territory, I suppose. Yeah. Like, th- like she could easily just like throw a dress on and have a gig forever at Disney World. <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> the highest paid princess ever. Mm-hmm. Just saying there are options here. That book is self-aware enough that I wouldn't be shocked if that comes up or came up at some point and I didn't even think about it. So, right. Two other brief things here. I read Commandi Adventure number 11. Uh, this one is the second to last issue written by uh, Rob Williams, uh, art by Walt Simonson. First off, um, amazing team. Amazing, amazing, amazing team. Getting Walt Simonson, that's fantastic. Um, I think the problem is that Rob Williams didn't read the memo clearly enough where it said, like, we want this issue to be written, like, in the spirit of Jack Kirby. And I think he read, like, please actually have a fucking seance, have Jack Kirby, like, inhabit your body and actually write as if you are, like, the spirit of Jack Kirby. Because this (laughs) issue is, like, tonally, it is the most Kirby of I would say any of the issues uh, a lot of the other issues are better yes artistically mm-hmm. but in terms of like actually capturing uh, the pro style of Jack Kirby which is a double-edged sword because some of us uh, some of us hate it and some of us like me like have a threshold where we're like all right yep I've that's that's enough for me um, this issue really tonally seemed to hit that uh, <laughs> right on the spot for better or for worse uh, and then finally um, I read Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Complete Black and White Adventures, yes. Volume 1. For those who are actually volume. trying to read from the actual beginning, this is the one you want. And again, we'll talk about this a lot more later, but there are two interesting points from that I just want to briefly bring up that I found very interesting. Um, they might not be the, the biggest ones, but I found them kind of curious. Uh, one, Eastman and Laird were not the ones to relegate April to being a jumpsuited reporter. That was actually created for the cartoon, so that's not on them. Um, as was the case with the IDW 2012 run, she originally was a lab assistant to Baxter Stockman, who um, in the 2012 run, I think she's like a college intern. Yeah. And in this yeah. one, it's more like she's just a grown adult and this is her job. So again, found that interesting that the cartoon is, they were like, we can't have her do science. She's a woman. Ugh. I'm not saying that was like their actual dialogue line and making that decision but you know that's i i, I, can, I, I have some theories about why they did things. that i have a theory oh, as to why they did that so and, but i'll get into that yeah, in the yeah, second yeah. half 
And then the second one um, is that in issue two, there's a really uncomfortable, awkward sequence where, again, don't forget, this is in New York City, Baxter Stockman threatens to take down one of the World Trade Center towers if not given ransom money. Yeesh. Ooh, I remember that one. Again, this Mm -hmm. was written before either, I think, the 93, was it 93? Like the 93 incident or 9-11. These were written like 87. No, yeah, Yeah, you're right earlier. Yeah. If you guys want to feel old, one of the kids at the school that I work at asked me the other day, what year was 9-11? And (laughs) I had a a minute where I was like, oh, right, you were nowhere near close to existing at that point. This is a valid question, (laughs) but also how do you not know this? That's, wow. Yeah. Okay, wow. Blew my mind. Um, (laughs) Wowzer. Yeah, I'll get, I I I really am excited to talk about turtles because I this April O'Neil thing is is been in my head about why she was a reporter we in should, the cartoons and but anyways let me get let right me get to through. it uh, Mike say your no, things <laughs> let me say my things let me say my things I read some books this week I read um I've been doing all right I had like a weird moment where I sent out this week's email and I was not feeling great I don't know why it was because of like a combination of rain and being exhausted like I've had a really weird sleep schedule for the last week and it's started to wear down on me and then i slept 12 hours on or like 13 hours on friday into saturday Good. Oh, now i feel great wow hence why i'm so jazzed about this week's episode but i did read some comic books and i think that also helped because i read a lot of comic books um i read legion number one this is the peter milligan javier rodriguez's book um just came out from marvel uh i told myself i wouldn't buy any more x-men books and here i am yeah. uh, lol yeah, well yeah, there, yeah, the, yeah. the reason why i did buy this is because i was at midtown comics i saw the bill sankovic uh cover uh, that he did for Legion Number One, and it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, I'll I'll post a link to that in the show notes. Um, it's it's one of the most beautiful covers I've seen in a while for an X Men book. Sinkevich, yeah. And uh, I don't know what it is. I don't know if I hate this book or I love this book, but <laughs> reading it, it was a lot of fun in the same way that the P- uh, Peter Milligan, Mike Allred, Ecstatics book was a lot of fun. Um, David Haller is a very special place in my heart. And this issue one, it was kind of all over the place with ideas, but I like that. I think Peter Milligan knows how to introduce chaos into a comic book and rein it all back to tell a, a very solid story. So I, I have hope for this series. I think I'm going to keep reading it if only because it is a miniseries. If it was an ongoing, I would just wait and maybe get the trades in the future. But as a miniseries, I think I'm on board. Would you, Mike? No, I wouldn't wait. There's no <laughs> way in hell I would wait. It's David Haller here. Uh, let's see. I also read Bedlam Volume 2. Really quick on this. I guess this is the end of the series. I know that it's been done for a very long time. I've been meaning to put, read Volume 2 for ages. I never did. I finally sat down and read it. This is Nick Spencer, Ryan Brown on art, who replaced Riley Rossimo, I believe, according to some speculative blog posts that I saw that were published around the time. Riley Rossimo left, left the series because of creative differences. He wanted more input on the story, and he didn't get it. I've heard that he maybe didn't like the direction that the book was going. Quite honestly, Volume 2 was really fucked up. Like, And that's what's to be expected with this series. I think I heard some people say he thought it was too dark. And yeah, and Osmo. I can see why the book ended. I think this ended right around the time Nick Spencer was starting to take on more work at Marvel and do like that kind of stuff. So his creator-owned work kind of fell to the wayside, I believe, with the exception mm. of Morning Glories. Yeah, I believe yeah. that's also his book. Um, so not 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 like surprised that this book ended but and really the end it was left on a big huge cliffhanger so i understand why fans are rabid for more of this book altogether it's i'm okay with it not having more um if it was going to go down the really weird dark path of just 
gore for the sake of gore and violence for the sake of violence and offensiveness for the sake of offensiveness. Mm-hmm. I think it was starting to get to that point, and it kind of made me uncomfortable. Let's see. I also read Department H numbers 1 through 12. I've been sitting on this book since issue 5. I have all of the single issues sitting on my desk ready to read. I just haven't read them because I wanted to just take it all in. So this weekend, I sat down and read 12 issues in a row, and this is honestly one of the most beautiful books in the, on the market right now. Th- this book... Every single issue astounds me with a splash page or even just some panel work that's done. Every cover is a wraparound cover to the back. It's gorgeous. I, I would love any of those covers, specifically the turtle shell or the turtle cover that they did. Oh, my God. The turtle cover is maybe my favorite. It's, yeah. it, it, honestly, it's such a beautiful watercolor book. Charlene Kent, like if you think Matt Kent's work is good and his art is great, Charlene Kent is the better artist, hands down. The work that she does with just the colors of this book, because all she does is coloring in watercolor, it's fucking phenomenal. Like, what an amazing artist. The fact that they're working together and that Matt and Charlene are married, it's it's beautiful. It's one of those power couple kind of things, like Mike and Laura Allred. It's, it blows my mind every time. So I love this book. If you're not reading it, I highly suggest it. It's a very straightforward whodunit. Straightforward? And, which is... <laughs> <laughs> straightforward i mean i think it's i should say it's a very straightforward mystery book it's it's not going to it's not trying to mix its genres it's not the trying premise to premise do... is pretty straightforward the the threading out whodunit is definitely not straightforward. Yeah, yeah but that i think that makes a good whodunit story where you're constantly yeah. questioning oh, yeah. everyone including the narrator yeah fucking love this book i, I don't want to go into just read about this book go find this book you're gonna thank me for it here's a little easter egg about that you might find interesting too mike sure. if you look on the margins of the page there are little notches of, squ- of squares going vertically, um, top to mm-hmm. bottom. And um, if you, I don't know if you've seen this, but the notches are actually filled in blue, and there's 24 of them, one for each issue, and it's supposed to represent the water rising. And so, no um, way. If, yep. Shut and up. if you have if you have the book in trade form, um, you can more clearly easily see it. That um, if you look at the book on its side, the 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 blue just slowly starts filling the book as you go from. Um, one end to the other. That's so cool. I mean, the the I should say, I guess to to uh, add some context to what Nick was saying there. The story is this: uh, our main character goes, she goes underground to this underwater base, and it is flooding after some mysterious explosion happened that killed her father. And as the story progresses, the the underwater base starts to get more and more broken and starts to flood more, and the water is constantly rising, which is oh man, it, it adds so much tension to the story. It's fantastic. Finally, I did read Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Volume 1 from 2012. Kevin Yay. Eastman, Tom Waltz, Dan Duncan on art, Rhonda Pattison on colors. Oh my God, I'll go into that in a bit. Eastman on layouts. Eastman on layouts. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. this book basically reminded me why I liked the Turtles growing up. And all of the boys in the story, all of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fit their archetypes so well. Like, it's exactly what I want out of a Turtles book. Um, fucking love this. And again, I'll go into it more about why I liked it um, in the after the break. But let's very quickly talk about what we're excited for this upcoming week. Comic books are being released on February 7th, 2007, 2018. I wrote that wrong in the notes. What are you guys excited for? Let's start with you, Nick. Quickly, quickly. Yeah, quickly, quickly, quickly. My pick for this week is Armstrong in the Vault of Spirits, number one. Um, this is a one-shot from Valiant. It's written by Fred Van Lenty uh, with art by Kafu. Um, first off, just briefly, anytime Fred Van Lenty comes back to Valiant, it's worth paying attention. And secondly, if, if he's coming back to write Archer and Armstrong, uh, that means you definitely want to pay attention. Um, 
Beyond that, uh, you've got Kafu, who did art for Rapture, 4001 AD, Imperium, Unity, fantastic, very underrated artist at Valiant. Um, and then the premise is, deep beneath New York's seediest dive bar, Armstrong is hosting an invite-only affair for his most beloved friends and allies. All have been offered a seat at the table for a personally guided tour of Armstrong's most valuable and tightly guarded treasure. Uh, of course, we've Ooh. seen him romp around in history before, so I think we're going to see more of his you know, run-ins with um, big historical figures in a in a manner that's reminiscent of Forrest Gump, you know, so mm-hmm. uh, very excited for this. Very cool. Uh, is this a one-shot, Nick? Yeah, it's a one-shot. It's a one-shot. Okay. I, I think it's in line with they've done three other one-shots to celebrate Valiant's something anniversary, maybe 25th. I uh, know, fake fan. I can't remember this stuff, but I think this is the <laughs> fourth okay. and final one of them. So, yeah. Very Your cool. Fandom is valid, even if you don't have encyclopedic knowledge about the thing. Yeah. 100%. Uh, I don't know, yes. Kara. They just showed up at my door. They're taking my Valiant certificate as we speak. <laughs> so, I kind of beg to differ. Kara, uh, what are you excited for this week? I, I know you've got like a, you've got a gag link in. <laughs> in the notes but what are you actually excited for this week okay let's start with the gag link um while i was looking at books coming out uh there's a book coming out called trump's titans versus the mandela effect oh and it's like donald trump as a superhero and there's a fake news variant cover and i i can't tell if it's a satirical work or an earnest work, but either way, like I don't, it's real. I don't it's know real. what to do. Jordan and so. I ran into the first issue of Trump's Titans at a comic book store, and I look over, and he's like halfway through it, and I'm like, "How's that book?" He's like, "It's bad, just like the real thing." I'm like, "Oh, oh. boy!" <laughs> so it's just like. I didn't know what to do, so I needed to talk about it so that I didn't That's have it just fine. floating around. You my didn't brain. imagine it; it's real. Okay. Yeah, we've seen we've seen a handful of Trump comics come out, and it's baffling because I cannot figure out if this is, like you said, in earnest or if it's a joke. But and also, it's, like, it's just kind of funny. Like, it, regardless of your politics, it's just interesting that, um, like people were buying up the Obama meets Spider-Man book like mm-hmm, it was made mm-hmm. of gold and there have been Trump comics already and it's like a non-issue. So yeah, it's just like... Let's, I, I don't <laughs> think it's just getting noticed by people, but it's a totally different topic. I honestly, we have a topic in the backlog about about this kind of stuff that maybe we should bring up further in, like qu- sooner in the year rather than later. Oh, totally. We'll Midterms are coming up. Got to get on that. Oh, yeah. Okay, but actual actual books. Uh, IDW has a trade coming out that's a, a Clue uh, graphic novel. Yeah. Like like the game, like the board game. Yeah, I saw th- yeah. I saw the movie like once, and I'm looking at this. Co- the cover is cool, so that's honestly why I picked this between that and being like, wait a minute, what are you doing? But actually, you know, thinking about the comics that I do read and I do enjoy, mm-hmm. I've been reading a lot of IDW over the past few years, like a lot of it, because they do very good work with franchises. So when I see they have a new franchise, I kind of give them the benefit of the doubt because they do tend to do such interesting work with it. Totally. 
Yeah, I, I, I yeah. agree with that completely. I've, I've been pleasantly surprised over the last couple of years being so anti-franchise comic book for a while. Um, actually taking a step and trying some stuff, I was very, very pleasantly surprised. Yeah, IDW has it's they've they've that's been their bread and butter for ages, but they've really mm-hmm. amped up their game, especially in the last like two years. So I'm interested about that. And then Kadansha is releasing like a new deluxe version of Sailor Moon, and it's like my mission to get everyone to at least try to read Sailor Moon. So if you like <laughs> fancy shiny versions of books, Kadansha has like a holographic cover with a new illustration by Naoko Takeuchi and um, the translation has been slightly updated hmm. and I think it's been printed in a slightly larger format so if the small typical size manga format doesn't do it for you maybe this is the version you want to be reading alternatively cool. if you thought you were going to be buying at least a slightly more affordable normal manga sized book forget about it yeah <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Um, Well, for me this week, I'm excited. This should be no surprise to anyone. Rogue and Gambit number two. Shocking. Yeah, this is Kelly Thompson with Pierre Perez on art, or at least on pencils. I can't find information about Marvel books on the internet, I swear. This book is pretty much worth it for the Chris Anka covers because everyone is so beautiful. Namely, Rogue and Gambit are so beautiful. And I don't know if I need this book in my life, but I think I need it, so I'm going to read it. Let's not even lie about this. Come on. It's so weird because... This is like... This is like this book is a direct line into your brain that Marvel has. Mike, on the IRCB Goodreads group, you literally just posted that Rogue Gambit is your OTP on our Valentine's favorite comics couples thread. Like one or two days later, Mike rapping. I don't know if it's for me or not. (laughs) Guys, come on. I'm so torn because again, it goes back to this whole. I just need to stop reading X Men books because they make me so mad and I get why so put off by reading them. They angry you because welcome to my whole relationship with DC. Garbage. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's it's. I feel so put off by them, but I also feel the need to be like in the know because they are my thing. Like, the, not not that I am defined by that thing, but it's something that I'm constantly no. like, what are the X Men up to? What are the X Men up to? Even if it's trash, <laughs> Mike, um, you are literally describing my entire relationship with DC. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, thank this you. Is I'm glad that new. you understand. You're not alone. Okay, good. Um, anyway, what I do know, I will say, Kelly Thompson hit a lot of nails on the head in the last issue. Um, I was really worried about some of the relationship aspects that have always been semi-problematic with these two and i think that she's fanned them out in such a way that it's going to make this mini series very interesting again i'm i'm into buying this stuff if it means it's just a mini series and it's going to be quick and over with like you're going to tell a solid story in a couple of issues i'm fine with that so that's my pick problems aside about buying marvel comic books or whatever uh yeah that's that's where I'm at. <laughs> For those tuning in, we just finished the um, episode of Mike Rappin's self-deception. Uh, he's done <laughs> lying to himself. Yes, yes. For our show this week, we are talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or Teetle Beetle Needle Teetles. I, I, I don't remember that. Needle Teetles. Thank you, Jesus thank you. Mike, come on. We're talking about that. We're talking about one of the biggest comic book franchises, I think, in history that is not considered a Marvel or DC property. Um, and it's such a fantastic thing because if you think about it, I mean, someone like me, I grew up with the Turtles as like this huge thing. I was born in like late 80s, so like all throughout the 90s. As a kid, I, I was constantly hit with Turtles no matter where I turned in any kind of popular culture. Um, so this is something that's 
deep seated in my mind, but I don't I don't think I've ever read any comic books up until the last maybe four or five years about them. So um, I guess to start, what we should do, um, Kara, if you could tell us about the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. How did this all get started? I don't know if you're ready for this, Mike. So I'm I'm very scared actually. So, <laughs> <laughs> so first off. Like, let's just make this very clear. The t- the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles did start as a comic book. So this is just yet another one of those things where you can tell your non-nerd friends, like, the thing that you love started as a comic. Yay! <laughs> yeah, yeah. 1984, Eastman and Laird create an independent black and white comic. It's a one-shot. And it's basically a commentary about how ridiculous comics are at that point because think it's the 80s everything's really like muscly and rambo-y and over the top violence everyone's decadent there's money everywhere everyone's doing cocaine it's like a party (laughs) that never stops in the 80s from what i know of it because i was not alive then except for like a a little bit when i was a baby but this is the world into which the turtles are brought as like a satirical commentary about how ridiculous all of this is essentially eastman and laird said what is the most ridiculous concept we can think of and let's make it even more ridiculous so they were just like they are teenage mutant ninja turtles and they're ninjas and their origin story is the same origin story as daredevils oh right because because uh daredevil uh becomes blind in his original origin story by like crossing the street and getting hit by like a vat of toxic chemicals that like falls off a truck or something like that yeah and then that same vat of chemicals falls into the sewer and the turtles and a rat like oh. get involved with it it's that same yeah. vat of chemicals I, like i've seen can, that like panel layout where it's like mm-hmm. it's definitely daredevil yep. and then they cut down to the sewers yep. <laughs> yep so uh you know marvel will never never admit to it but canonly daredevil and the turtles share the exact same origin story the exact same vat of chemicals mm-hmm. changed all of their lives and the turtles are fighting the foot clan which is obviously the their version of the hand mm-hmm. again for daredevil and they're in that same part of new york city hell's kitchen in the 80s which is basically like an apocalyptic wasteland according to both books being published <laughs> at the time yeah and they actually end the first issue by killing shredder because it was a one shot so he was the bad guy and they killed him and the response for this book was so unexpectedly positive that they just kind of kept going and now it's 2018 and they're everywhere it's in- it's insane it's pervasive like i said it kind of earlier in the show but teenage mutant ninja turtles is like it's a it's a thing that exists in the same level i think that star wars does as far as you know like younger adults younger public readers and yeah, public whoa, consciousness. Whoa, whoa. Tone, tone, it, tone it down, Mike. Hey. Mike <laughs> likes to compare things to Star Wars all the time. No, no, no. It's I, close, I, Mike. In, it's in not. In terms don't... of like cultural pervasiveness, like okay, it's it's a slightly different level than Star Wars because yes. people aren't lining up around the block to see opening night Teenage Mutant sure. Ninja Turtle movies. Yeah, but I understand right. in terms of like cultural saturation. 
Yeah, yeah. Th- sorry, and that's maybe what I was getting at. I think specifically, like more and maybe probably in the United States than anywhere else. Um, unlike Star Wars, which I think is a global phenomenon, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which is always a mouthful but still somehow rolls off the tongue. You could say TMNT. Um, yeah, yeah, TMNT. That's much like better. The cool kids, Mike. Come on. TMNT, not the movie from Teetles. 2012. Yeah, or, and then they had to go uh, name a movie TMNT, so yeah, then yeah. Like, the hardcore <laughs> fans are like, oh, you mean the movie? And it's like, no, I'm trying to, you know, streamline this. Yeah. Just, yeah, come on. Uh, the movie was great, though, but we can go back as to that. A, as a property, though, I think it is a, is a core as far as, like, children's Mm-hmm. entertainment goes it's one of those things it's going to be up there next to power rangers it's going to be up there next to star wars it's going to be up there next to beetle borgs that's not a thing i'm that's sorry that, that was, was that's a, a little terrible. niche that's a it little was niche, a thing Mike. that's a little niche i know but it's, it's still it's up there as niche. far as like action characters go um the this this book and maybe not the, the inspiration from this book has grown into this action figure mega Megacorp that has you know films and TV shows, multiple TV shows, I should say, lots of video of games and lots of video games, and I I love it. Like Some I didn't realize how much of my like childhood was actually influenced by the amount of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that was around me. Um, I, I mean, and so like my my take on a lot of this has been, holy cow, I didn't realize how big of a Turtles fan I was until we started to actually think about it. Because I wouldn't say I'm like like I have a ton of X Men paraphernalia and all this other stuff. I don't have any TMNT stuff, but I know that as a kid, it was a lot of what I did. Like I played with Turtles action figures and played the Turtles video games, um, and it's it's a very like happy memory that I have of doing all of that. Um, so I mean, to start that, I guess like because of th- like that's my past of the turtles. What about how have you guys like been influenced by the turtles, if you have at all? If we have at all, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. Some people don't aren't into the turtles, but well, I think just it's hedging still something they, all. they know. All right. All right. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, I remember my brother playing the Super Nintendo game like side-scrolling game um when we were at our babysitter's house when we were younger mm-hmm. and then uh nickelodeon was airing an animated show around 2004 that we watched pretty consistently after school okay. um so that was my first like real exposure to it and then i think 2006 2007 was that um like 3D animated TMNT film that was mm-hmm. technically a sequel to an earlier live action film, but I it's, didn't. I think it's a sequel to two. Yeah. Because no one considers three part of the canon, but <laughs> I still do. And um, so I, I went. I remember very vividly, like I'm like in high school, I go with like three of my girlfriends and it's like us in this theater that's all full of families with like young boys. And then we're just sitting there just like, yes, turtles. Mm-hmm. So if anyone, if, if you're, if you're surrounded by people who think that girls don't like this stuff, they're wrong. I'm just letting you know. And <laughs> turtles are awesome. And, uh, and then um, the, current movies that are being made i had zero expectations but i'm actually kind of low-key obsessed with them like (laughs) (laughs) i I am i am so into them it's like not okay Um, you're talking about the the michael bay films that came out right um he produced them he didn't direct them sorry sorry but yes michael bay produced films yes that's what i should say yes i'm so obsessed with them uh, I think it's Megan Fox's best acting to date, and I think she's honestly, as April O'Neil in those films, the lowest lane that we should have in the DC universe right now that we oh, just snap. Don't. Wow. Yeah. 
So if you are like really disgruntled with uh, Amy Adams's portrayal of Lois Lane in the DC films, which if you know anything about Lois Lane, you should be, and it's not her fault, it's the script, uh, mm-hmm. you should watch the current Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle films and watch Megan Fox's April O'Neil and recognize that that is the Lois Lane that you should want. Because mm-hmm. she's just it's like a very long pull quote, but I'm sure they'll be putting it on the back <laughs> of the DVD. But she's any just day like, now. like her April O'Neil is like funny and such a go getter, and she doesn't stop when she sees the story and is like trying to do the right thing. Um, so the 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 first uh, teen, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie in this current series, I think, is tonally very like. Um, the early comics from the 80s because it's like dark and gritty and it is um it's like only you can only get so dark with a teenage mutant ninja turtle film but like it is tonally more like the early comics whereas teenage mutant ninja turtles out of the shadows is tonally more like the cartoon from the 90s that probably most people listening to this are thinking of when they think of the turtles what is out of the shadows out of the Shadows is the second film in the current Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle film franchise oh, that they're okay. doing. Right, um, okay. And it brings in um, more characters like Commander Krang and um, uh, Bebop and Rocksteady. And it's just tonally completely different from the first film because like right. Casey Jones is in there. Everything's a little wackier. And it's like kind of a self-aware wackiness. Like, like Krang is so over the top and is exactly like he was in the cartoons. So mm-hmm. it's like perfect. What about you, Nick? Have you, what was your, your whole past with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle? <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's pretty minimal to be honest. Um, you know, growing up, I was, um, born early enough that the, the show was still on at that point and, and was still not that hard to find the, the animated cartoon. And so, a lot of mornings because you know uh, if if I got caught watching this show it would be turned off because both my parents aka let's remember they're teachers and they're trying to protect me um, mm-hmm. whatever thanks guys really worked out um, <laughs> as I said uh, earlier in the other comments about the alien film for the most part it was a pretty low maintenance job for them because I was so scared of everything that like they didn't even have to have the you're not watching this conversation like mm-hmm. most of those I was like done and done mom and dad it's fine i got pbs and but for ninja turtles you know i would i would run downstairs this was back when i understood what waking up early was and i would run downstairs before school and of course everything was health food health food health food thanks a lot guys although you know maybe maybe that was a good idea uh and so the closest thing i had to snacks was like carob chips like for cooking like again not chocolate chips carob chips uh, and of course, they were frozen in the freezer. So I would grab a handful of those, run down into the cold <laughs> basement, and watch Ninja Turtles. Oh man, I was so excited! Anyway, that's how I live my life these days. Anyway, that's how it is now. And I'm just imagining like a a miniature version of the current Nick that I know. Like nothing's yeah. changed. Still with the beard. Still with just the long beard. Hair. beard. <laughs> just 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 throwing back carob chips like it's nobody's business. Yeah. Exactly. My healthy snack was frozen peas or frozen corn because they're essentially all sugar anyways. So I feel you. Wow. That's close. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so I watched that. 
Of course, uh, I didn't really have the toys at the time. Uh, a, they were super expensive, and right. you know, B, my parents were like, you know, if we're going to hand you an action figure, it's going to be like I don't know, like Albert Einstein or the Wright brothers or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. I don't think those exist, but that's what they were aiming for. We're definitely not going to hand you an anthropomorphized animal brandishing a sword. Like that's not in our wheelhouse. Gotcha. as your parents my mom was the um, bargain hunter so what happened was when my brother was i think seven or eight she came across a giant box of teenage mutant ninja turtle action figures at like a tax oh, sale and she got the whole thing for like five bucks so oh nice we had like all of the turtles for a few years because she found that well the the worst thing was that my my cousin like had got and wanted all of that stuff and so at Christmas, it was always, Christmas was always, a, you know, a nice reminder of uh, the things I wanted that I couldn't get. And anyway, this is, sorry, did this just turn into my therapy session? I think it did. Yeah, it totally uh, Anyway, did. sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> I tell my parents all the time that they didn't really get me everything that I wanted when I was a kid. As they were just like, what are you talking about? I'm like, yeah, it's like, me. How, all I how, wanted how was the you, Sailor Moon DVDs and, and you couldn't even get me that. Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> oh, beats. <laughs> So I, I think that's probably why, you know, why I'm, you know, into this now. It's just subconscious re- uh, rebellion. Oh, no, it's right. absolutely why once I turned 18 and went away to college, I w- like, you know, people are like, oh, yeah, college, like you go off and like explore yourself and you rebel and you like drink and you meet people. No, I got a job and then went right to Walmart toy section and got a million Transformers action <laughs> Get- figures. <laughs> hey, mom, <laughs> now that you're miles away, I'm, I can tell you this. Exactly. I've got turtles. <laughs> Honey, she's on some new drug called Turtles. What's that? (laughs) I did did recently get some Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle action figures after Out of the Shadows came out where I was just like, Mm -hmm. all right, we're in. We're like obsessed with this now. I got a pair of um, uh, Doc Martens was doing uh, Turtles like branding thing, like limited edition Doc Martens with Turtles. And they were like all sold out in my size except for leonardo so even though he's not my fave i got the leonardo doc martens that are covered in glow the dark green green slime and uh i've got a couple action figures from out of the shadows and then i found a magician Raphael in a secondhand shop of like pop what? culture stuff. Oh, oh yeah. You know no. yeah. I was going to say like, I know exactly what you're talking about. I owned that action figure as a kid. He's got like a curly mustache. <laughs> yeah. He's got like a rabbit and a hat. He's wearing Big a Big old top hat. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Magician oh my Raph. gosh. Kara, you're like blowing my, sorry, this is blowing my mind. I I forgot like as a kid, like I had, I don't, I didn't watch the cartoon. I only saw the movies, yeah. but my parents still bought me like a handful of action yeah. figures. Like I had one of yeah, these. Yeah, they're wild. I this Raphael this is insane oh my gosh sorry yeah. total, total mind blow right here yeah 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 the only figurine I got and it was from my aunt unsurprisingly the 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 mother of the you know my cousin who who got most of this stuff one year they got me the Michelangelo surfing one I yes. don't know if this rings a bell with yes. anyone else. Yep. and I think yep. they feel yep. I think they figured that that was the best non-violent compromise yeah, yeah. I mean, my mom was still pissed um <laughs> he's surfing to what go do violence <laughs> oh, wait okay so nick you said in preparation for this show you read some of the original comics so yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Will, will you agree with my assessment from what i was talking about the ones i read earlier that they were just 
wild compared to what oh i mean it feels like a book that like had no editorial like oversight and there was no one to ever say no to anything which sometimes (laughs) goes wrong and sometimes goes oh so right and like that's what this book is where any of those early issues did they introduce renee the time traveler um i've read the first four at this point and i haven't seen that person at all it's largely been you, they deal with shredder and then they deal with baxter stockman creating those robo mice catchers which i think showed up in the show a lot um, and in the video games yeah yeah oh yeah see that's exactly what i thought of when i saw the like the first couple of panels of them i was like fuck where is this coming from i know these things <laughs> yeah um that arcade but game that's about defined. as wild as it's gotten like we, it, baxter isn't even mutated himself yet so mm-hmm. yeah in some of the early early issues they do like start bringing in um this time traveler named renee who's like part of a time traveling organization that seems similar to the time Lords. Mm. And she, like <laughs> I've seen her in a few early issues and she was actually in one of the mini stories in this classics volume one that I read. And I saw her in one of the more recent turtle stories where it's like, she's there as a plot device essentially for the turtles to be able to travel through time. But sometimes they use her to great effect, but I'm just like time travel and turtles somehow are a thing. Yeah, see, I never understood that in the old Super Nintendo scrolling game is that through the whole game is Turtles in Time. And so they're going to different time periods and fighting folks like the Foot Clan in different times. And of course, as they travel through time in the video game, their clothes change like not just the tur- or not the Turtles, but the Foot Clan start dressing for the proper period or they're fighting like dinosaur men. But that just goes I- to show you like the the central um I think strength of the Turtles is that as long as the characters remain the same the concept works regardless of context it's the same thing with archie characters it's like as long as the personality archetypes are maintained it like you don't need context it doesn't matter they could be in space they could be in the flintstones era they could be dropped into any situation and it will work because they work and this is why yeah. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles meet Batman works so well. Right. Well, and I think I think it's really interesting because like I, I read that I read that one volume, and I now that I think about it, I have read the black and white classic, but I cannot remember it for the life of me. That's okay. Um, I, I think it was a while, a long time ago, and I read it like really late at night or something. But um, <laughs> still, like I in this this volume that I read from the 2012 run, I could like even though the characters were all wearing the red like eye covers whatever those are bandana things yeah i knew who they were and i mean like i said honestly uh rhonda pattinson her coloring work work is so perfect because she colors the turtles all different shades of green so you know who they are and i i i honestly wish that i could just hug this person for doing this because it it helped clear things up when there was just little one-off like dialogue bits but you could also feel in the writing like eastman has a very very solid grasp on those archetypes and so when a character is speaking you know just kind of how to on the cadence that they speak and like the words that they choose to use and how they like phrase things who each character is and i love that like it Five pages in, I knew who each turtle was. I didn't have to question it and keep going back and saying, oh, where is this bubble pointing to? No, I know that that's Raph. I know that that's Donnie. I know that that's Leo. It was so, so fantastic. 
And and I think that just highlights your point, Kara. Like, as long as the archetypes are set up right, the the characters will always work, and the stories will always work, no matter how ridiculous they are. Yeah, because you know, you know, you're watching it for like the ridiculous action, or you're reading it for the ridiculous action. But it's just like these stories keep resonating because the characters are characters that um, people love and identify with. Like, this is what um, we were kind of talking about earlier when we were saying like when we brought the the needle teetles into the group chat we have going and then all of a sudden it was just everyone diving down this rabbit hole of which turtle am i which do i agree with the personality quiz assessment that the internet is giving me because it's like you there the types are so distinct that you can um like find the one essentially that you identify with the most and then mm-hmm. that becomes like your way into the story absolutely yeah i constantly think about that those types of stories as like something that is very easy to read because they like you said just like archie they the characters they work in the, in their archetypes but it's funny because they don't ever change like they grow as characters but they never truly change and get away from that archetype which is always something that i think that keeps this franchise running it's such a relief to know that Raphael's rage issues will never actually be <laughs> resolved <laughs> yeah 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 leo's always going to be conflicted between having fun and being the leader real boss yeah yeah uh Raph had a good moment in the in the recent Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie, you know, at the the climax of the film when it seems like everyone's going to die. He actually has a really emotional moment where he like kind of bears his soul to his brothers about like why he is the way he is, and it was not a moment I was expecting in what's essentially supposed to be a kids film, and it was so phenomenal. And I was just like, mm-hmm. this is why you work. This is why you are amazing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, are you talking about the animated film, or are you talking about the 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 live action ones? The li- live action one, no. Pre- okay, yeah. Pre out of the shadows. Because <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm saying I, I felt the same way. Like there were some moments in that TMNT animated film that was supposed to be a sequel to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two, mm-hmm. and it it worked because the whole movie is the the team is broken up for some reason, right? And they're trying to get Raph back to join the team, but Raphael and Don, or excuse me, Raphael and Leo constantly at he- you know bumping heads and they have to like fix that as part of the movie and there's a beautiful moment near the end where they decide to set aside their differences for the greater good of their family and it's it's so like satisfying to see that come to a head because you know that after the fight they're going to go back to arguing with each other and butting heads but they know that that family like it's that central thing that splinter's always trying to instill in them that family is everything and we are a circle and, and oh man just oh, such fantastic stuff. I, I really do enjoy Turtles. I just like, I never think to go out and pursue more content with them. It's always just going to be like a thing that resonates in me that if I do sit down and read or watch something with them, it's going to work really well for me. And I'm always going to enjoy it. Yeah, I guess outside of this, I, Nick, I know you did a ton of research for this episode. Do you have <laughs> some fun little bits of trivia and things that you may want to instill upon us? Yeah, there's there's some pretty interesting stuff. So Ninja Turtles came about in an era 
where marketing was starting to change. And if you watch the documentary on Netflix called The Toys That Made Us, which is absolutely amazing. Oh, if I've you're heard a that's total great. dweeb um, like <laughs> me. Uh, and it talks about how like um, the Star Wars toys came to be created. Um, they've only got four parts out right now. There's there's four more coming later. I think right now it's G.I. Joe, Barbie, Star Wars, and He-Man. But what's interesting, and especially He-Man is a good example of this, is that um, it used to be that like, cartoons or whatever became popular and once they became popular and they showed that these things had an established base then all of the you know supplementary marketing for toys and whatnot would be built around that and with things like he-man he-man never existed as anything before it was a concept for toys and then they literally built everything around selling the toys like the cartoon everything right and of course with turtles you don't Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And with with Turtles, you do have the comic, which, you know, does exist as sort of a, you know, beginning point. But largely, the cartoon uh, playmates came to Eastman and Laird and were like, we really want to do toys. Like, we see your stuff and we think there's real toy potential. The problem is, if we're going to do toys, that means we have to do a TV show, um, a a cartoon. And if we're going to do that, then we need a, we need to make the cartoon um, you know, applicable to like four to eight year olds in terms of, you know, cause we got to sell them the toys. Um, and so they made a lot of changes, not, not a ton. I mean, as you guys were talking about, you know, the core archetypes remain, but they still implemented a couple things that they demanded. Um, the whole obsession and love for pizza amongst all of them, totally created by the cartoon. I'm like, fine with that. Not That's shocking. a cartoon thing. Pizza is so cool because of the turtles. That's yeah, yeah. that's something that's been in my head since I was a child. Pizza is always cool because of the turtles. The what a, what a fucking life you. lesson, Mike. Jesus. Yeah. I mean, no, I mean, just real quick aside. I honestly didn't understand what New York pizza was when I was a kid. And so they were like, oh, yeah, let's get pizza. And it was like this flat slab of nothing, like barely any bread, barely any cheese. And they were just like slurping it down. And so yeah. we get Pizza Hut, you know, ordered to our house. Yeah. And I'm like, I guess it's the same. I, it, no. It's what the turtles eat because I saw a commercial mm-hmm. for it or yeah. Domino's, I think, was actually mm-hmm. who they who they were with whenever but like, still whenever mike eats pizza he just looks up and there's like you know a thought bubble coming from his head and it's like leo and leo's like oh you're fucking awesome and then just <laughs> uh, mike no, in the middle like of pizza hut, like amongst all these people just gives a big thumbs up to the air <laughs> and everyone's like what the fuck yeah i'm banned from a lot of pizza joints for that <laughs> <Yeah>. reason <laughs> anyways like, uh, anyways the pizza, the pizza thing is great though because it's like the turtles could only really exist and thrive in new york because in New York, as with any kind of really densely populated city, everyone kind of reaches a point where if you live there, you just kind of shrug if most weird stuff is happening and you just accept it. Sure. And yeah, so yeah. the turtle, like if the turtles had the like a standing right? pizza order to like a manhole, as long as the delivery guy's getting paid, I don't think he's really asking so many questions. He's <laughs> right. just like, all right, and here's this pizza. And like 15 minutes, if I swing by again, it'll be gone. And I don't need to know where it's going because I got yeah. my money. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's pizza. It could have been better. It could have been like, we're into blow. Cowabunga. <laughs> you know? They're all fucking doing it. They could have been Hell's Kitchen in the been, 80s. It's entirely yeah, possible yeah, yeah. that was yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Shredder became a bumbling idiot, which, I mean, it's an 80s cartoon. What do you want? That's just yeah. inevitable. So that, that that happened. The Foot Clan got turned into robots so that the turtles aren't technically hurting people. Yeah. Right. Again, a pretty common 80s cartoon. Not even 80s. Trope. That went into, like, I'm thinking oh, yeah. Teen Titans in the mid-2000s. Those, those were all robot ninjas that they were fighting all the time. Yeah, Power yeah. Rangers was they were fighting clay putties like they were. Right, it wasn't yeah. anyone. Don't actually worry, it's getting just hurt. animated clay. Yeah, yeah. it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. Uh, and then uh, a lot of the catchphrases like "cowabunga," that stuff was <laughs> um, crafted um, largely because they needed to replace the fact that the Ninja Turtles were occasionally swearing um, mm. for their exclamatories and profanities in the comics, and so that sort of stuff happened. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember now. I think they asked Eastman, like, what was the biggest issue he had about the cartoon? And I think he said something like, it was that goddamn fucking pizza obsession. He's like, <laughs> I don't <laughs> I don't know where they got this, but, like, he's like, apparently that, like, really upset him, I guess. No way. Um, well, it's funny because they're eating pizza in the 2012 remake, and he's writing that. So it's interesting to I see. I think he must have, have come to, to deal with it. Yeah. yeah. Well, also, and like this was this was my thought. I don't know what um, kind of contract they signed to make this franchise, but if Eastman and Laird, like that was a creator-owned book they were doing. If they still retained mm-hmm. the rights in any capacity, wouldn't that make them like the richest guys in comics in the 20th century? Probably. Like, I mean, close, it's like between them and McFarlane, yeah, it's yeah. it's definitely got to be up there. I, I'd be really curious to see if if those guys still own the rights completely or at least a percentage of it. Um, I, I would be, I would actually be very surprised if they didn't own a piece of it. Not all of it, you like, know, I'm obviously. Re- I'm really interested because from the limited knowledge I have of it, that is the comic success story. Like you're saying McFarlane, but McFarlane's making a lot of the money from like the toys that he's doing, but turtles oh, sure. are like yeah. ubiquitous. So what kind of money are these guys getting, if any? And like, is this an example of like essentially like winning the lottery in terms of your creator-owned work making it big yeah i mean well regardless I, I the comic was at mirage uh from 84 to 95 mm-hmm. uh and then for some fucking and then crazy reason it. it went to image oh well no i think image and then archie? my research archie got archie got a comic based on the animated series but it was not it was running at the same time as the mirage one. Oh, weird yeah, so they were actually two different um, simultaneously running books, apparently. But Image oh. ended up with it from 96 to 99, um, where some, uh, I wrote in my notes, very early days of Image, quote, please take me seriously, um, I'm really hardcore, I made spawn, <laughs> um, Image shenanigans happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Donatello became a cyborg, Leo lost a hand, what? Raphael became the new Shredder. Whoa. Um, okay, now this again, is Star Wars. Remember, like this is, <laughs> yeah. 90, this is 96 Image, okay? Yeah. So it's mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. peak Image shenanigans. Um, I just have an image of Jim Lee's art, and oh I'm just I'm just yeah. assuming it's that. <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing I to interject really quick, I did look it up. Uh, Eastman he did sell his ownership of TMNT, the property incorporations, to um, to move on to other products. He he sold it to. It just says he sold it. Okay, uh, but even still, I think he doesn't it ended own it up anymore. With Viacom and yeah, then Viacom, Viacom ended up with Nickelodeon. It. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So it's interesting that they brought him back. I, I wonder, like, 
who felt obligated or if that was like a mutual thing or if it was a contractual thing or, or what. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's some real, I, I think it adds some real clout to the new, I say new, the book came out and like started in like 2012, but that's recent. I think it adds some real clout. Yeah. yeah. And his, uh, his layouts are so good. If you ever um, read that book, like look around because chances are at some point in the book, they've got a lot of his original layout work for the issues. Mm-hmm. It's really, really interesting. Yeah. The back matter um, in the trade was very, very good. Oh, you might find this interesting, too. Um, apparently, like, so the, the the TV show had to sanitize some of the more questionable elements of the comic, but the TV show itself ended up getting edited and, and um, uh, reevaluated when it got um, marketed abroad, like in Europe and in, um, in the UK. Uh, many of the action sequences were trimmed so they weren't holding weapons as oh. much. Oh, really? They weren't real happy on that. Yeah, even though even though the cartoon had also introduced the idea of, I mean, we're not a black and white comic anymore. We're you know a color cartoon, so they you know gave them the the different bandanas mm-hmm. and everything and whatnot. Also to um to get away from the idea in the original comic that the weapons were the easy signifiers of who was who. So they wanted to sort of break away from that. So mm-hmm. makes sense. That's where the colors and the in the belts, the little belt you know belt buckles came in yeah but michelangelo apparently got totally screwed because at the time the show was going on nunchucks were a restricted um weapon in the uk apparently swords swords and and you know size were fine but apparently nunchucks (laughs) were a restricted weapon and so most of his scenes were re-edited or cut and many of them were replaced with him just running around with a grappling hook oh (laughs) i'm not making this up Come oh, on, guys, Mikey. let's fight! And then it's just Michelangelo just gr- <laughs> just grappling across from a rooftop to another. Oh no! <laughs> Come on, get back here, you piece of shit! Oh man, I mean, Captain America's weapon, quote unquote, is a shield. So I guess Michelangelo's yeah. could have been a grappling hook as long as they yeah. like were somewhat creative with it. So it's uh, weird. One th- he's, just, he's just he just turns out to be more violent than the rest of them. He's like he's just grappling up and just pulling people off rooftops <laughs> to their deaths. You know, <laughs> that's okay. he's actually the totally most bummed. bloodthirsty one of them now. You know, <laughs> wow. In the UK version, Michelangelo and Raphael have switched. Uh, no, so you know, actually speaking a little bit of trivia, we had asked Kara. Uh, you had asked Tia because at one point we had this discussion about how the names of the turtles actually didn't represent their personalities based on the name the people they were named after the original. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. Renaissance artists tia did get back to us about this um she said leo the turtle should be named donatello because he's the older brother donnie the turtle should be named leo the artist because he's a science nerd michelangelo the artist was a messy bitch who loves drama so clearly (laughs) raph the turtle and Mm -hmm. Raphael the artist was the sweet chill boy like mikey the turtle and also the baby so the turtles should all be switched up, but you know what? I'm I'm fine with who how they're named. I just think it's very funny that Tia had this very perfect analysis of these characters. This is why we go to Tia. We go to her for high culture. Yes, exactly. High culture with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> and apparently they just decided on that because Laird had a copy of Jansen's History of Art sitting around, mm-hmm. and they just picked names. Although I've read conflicting reports on this because another thing said that they actually initially wanted Japanese names, but they like messed around with it for a bit and they're like, we're not going to come up with anything like convincing or cool and this is right. like, really our wheelhouse. So <laughs> right. at that point, they sort of, you know, jettisoned the, the, one, the Japanese name the, idea. The one kind of, not like problem, but the one thing that I kind of roll my eyes at for the, mm. the Michael Bay produced films is that... Uh, the origin story for the turtles is slightly rewritten 
and oh. which like obviously to get away from the whole daredevil thing but um it, they make it like really tied in with april o'neill's childhood and oh weird they're like lab turtles in the lab that her dad is working in and like in this movie canon she's the one who names them and introduces them to pizza and i was like this is too oh. much guys this is a little much <laughs> Okay, see, I, I think that's still true of the IDW 2012. I mean, the the whole the turtles actually being in the lab and and her actually working with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the in the um, 2012 run, April is the intern who names them because she loves them. She thinks they're so cute and yada yada yada. Oh. Uh, and it's it's very nice. It's kind of nice to see that when I and I haven't gotten to the point in the story where they come back and meet her, um, but yeah, it's kind of nice to see that like she was kind of there. She named them, and Splinter being the like smart rat because he was on some he was a drug test rat. Yeah, um, it was meant rem- to be a, a an analogy for stick in Daredevil. I yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, he remembers those names and then names the turtles when they become their like full size forms, which I think is really kind of like a nice like callback. But w- one more thing about April. So my theory about why she became a reporter instead of being a scientist is not so she constantly shows up at crime scenes is that it it, i think it's because of that i think they needed someone who's trying to quote unquote solve the turtles which is why Mm. it works so well in the movies when she actually figures out who they are she's like oh this explains everything and it gets her i mean it gets her into the story but it's it's a it's a way to drive two storylines side by side and then have them intersect to make like a more compelling um, I guess story in a way like having April be there at the beginning is is nice but I think having her finding out oh my gosh these turtles um, is, a, is a bit more exciting I guess in some ways plus mm-hmm. she April O'Neil's she's like the best journalist out there and she's a TV reporter on <laughs> in the cartoon I believe and I think was she a TV reporter in the movies? Yes, she was because she's on camera. Yeah, because um, isn't Will Arnett her cameraman? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's th- those movies are just rife full of like fun, fun little people. But yeah, I think okay. So I guess any any last minute thoughts because we should totally wrap up this episode here. Oh wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. What's 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 a good entry point for people? I I would say the 2012 run is really really good. I like it a lot. It has some growing pain issues as they try to settle on a main artist for a little bit there. Uh, I think Dan Duncan was really good at the beginning. I don't know why they lost him, but they did. There's, like I said, some weird growing pains with a couple other artists, but eventually they settle on Sophie Campbell, um, who does sort of a bit more of a cartoony. There's almost sort of almost like a little bit of a lighter manga-ish influence to the art. And it's her alongside Mateus Santuluoco, and it's largely been those two ever since like volume seven. Also get on board because the Eastman layouts are great and the origin story is interesting. It's a lot more mystical and weird. The turtles are actually reincarnated. They were actually humans and, and Splinter was their dad in feudal Japan. And then Shredder from feudal Japan murders them all. Whoa. And then everybody gets <laughs> reincarnated in modern day. And it's, I like that story a lot. Very so. cool. Final thoughts, Kara? Uh, I would say my comic recommendations in terms of the turtles, because I'm, I'm operating with the assumption that you have some kind of awareness of the turtles and who they are, which sure, means sure. you can jump into basically any story and know more or less what you're dealing with. The TMNT Batman crossover from a couple years ago was actually legitimately really good. And if you like either of those characters, you should definitely read it. I think it was four issues. 
And then I also really enjoy Bebop and Rocksteady Destroy Everything. Oh, yeah. Oh, nice. Also a miniseries that I think was from two years ago. And it's great. It's like a mini where um, Bebop and Rocksteady, these like mutant warthog and rhino, uh, end up with this, I think it's Renee's time traveling scepter we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. And they just start irresponsibly time hopping and it's like the whole thing just goes out of proportion really quickly and if you like any kind of ridiculous like what might happen with all these like parallel universes and stuff like that it's just super fun it's super wacky you don't need too much brain power but it's a fun ride gotcha cool i mean i would say watch the original three live action movies um, especially three. Pay attention to three. It's the best one. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not true. Two is by, it was by far my favorite. Um, but yeah, that I mean, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is fantastic. Um, I don't have anything else to say other than that. So let's wrap things up. Where can people find you on the internet, Nick? You can find me on Twitter at Death Star Plans, or you can find me on Goodreads, uh, where I'm usually plugging some sort of Valiant sale that's going on that most people don't <laughs> care about. Right. Kara, what about you? Where can people find you on the internet? I'm on Twitter at Kara Zam, K-A-R-A-S-Z-A-M. And I also have a link to my Medium blog in there where I blog about Riverdale and I do recaps that are based, that show like what comic references they made on the episodes each week. Mm-hmm. And I have just joined Goodreads so I could be Ooh. in the I Read Comic Books group and talk at length about the comics that I want people to read which right now are Sailor Moon and anything to do with the Flash Rogues. I'm glad that you put a Sailor Moon book on our 2018 reading challenge. I'm very excited to read it. It's so important. Um, <laughs> for me, you can follow me on Twitter at, at Mike Rappin and Instagram and all sorts of other places on the internet. You can also follow the show at IRCB Podcast on Twitter. We retweet all sorts of stuff and post really cool things that we find. And every Friday I post a poll such as this week's poll, Who is the Creepiest Ghost? And um, I couldn't think of any good ghosts, so it's a really mixed array. Beyond that, I would encourage everyone to check out our Goodreads group, as we just talked about. We have a lot of comment threads going on there. This week's thread was about best comic book couples. Yes. Mike Rappin got involved. I did. Uh, Kara got involved as well. I got very involved. I <laughs> just ran over to the um, weekly deals thread and just started posting a lot of stuff there, because uh, I don't like love in my comics. It's dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just kidding. This is and the wrong month for that, you, my friend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Beyond that, there's a lot of discussions going on about what people are reading, uh, as well as our um, 2018 reading challenge. Uh, there's a lot of stuff to uh, just, you know, check it out. It's really good. If that's not your cup of tea, um, there's our website, um, ircbpodcast.com. Uh, if you've decided that that's how you want to consume the show, go right ahead. Otherwise, there's a um, our pronunciation guide is there if that's something uh, you want so that you know how to say Bill um, good Sankovic. God, now we can, Sankovic. Yeah, Sankovic. Bill Sankovic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you can say his name properly and not screw it up like, uh, like we did earlier. Like I just did. Yeah, yeah like, like I did. Everyone has done it this, this episode. So. <laughs> Please rate, subscribe, and tell your friends about us. You can email us at ircb at destroythecybe.org. If it helps you to think of it like this, it's destroy the cyborg. Yeah. But there's a there's a dot in there. And send us your thoughts on the show and fan art if you have any and more. We will also accept fan fiction to an extent. <laughs> and fan oh yes. Oh my goodness. If someone sent me some fan fiction, I would read it out loud. I would do a dramatic reading mini set. Don't commit to that. Honestly. 
Don't I'm totally to committing to that. No. Uh, <laughs> it'll be released on the secret Mike Rappin podcast. <laughs> Um, anyways, Infinity Shred does all the music for our show. They're the absolute best band in the universe. Seriously, they are such a nice group of guys. I'm so happy they let us use their music for the show. Um, Xander is a wizard. He edits our show. He's a super cool programming boy and just all around great guy. Honestly. Um, finally, I want to say thank you. Thank you to Nick. Thank you to Kara for being on the show this week. Thank you to to Eastman and Leard for making Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Thank you to everyone listening to the show. You've been fantastic, and we will check you next week. I didn't do the weird ending again. You're but fine. yeah, I'm That's not good. joking about That's that good. fan fiction thing. If we got something that no. was like 5,000 words or less, oh my God. I would try. I would read through it and then pick excerpts or something. Yeah, I would read yeah, large I was chunks say. of it. 90% like, of fan fiction turns sexual in a weird way real quick. So that's why I'm saying like, don't commit I, to it if here, it's going to make I would, us I'll gladly commit to it if it means that I can self-edit. Like that means I can go through <laughs> and like just like breeze over some bits or like PG PG it all. Like make it so that it's PG. <laughs> <laughs> like if it gets if it gets sexual in some way, I'll just like rewrite it to be not like overtly sexual or something. I I would <laughs> gladly do that. That would be the funniest thing in the entire world. Oh my oh goodness! My God. I would love to do that. I think that would be so much fun. Yeah, send us your thousand word or less fan fictions. Oh I'll gladly do that. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> Xander, please keep that in. <laughs> Um, okay, I can just see you just slowly leafing through a manuscript. It's like, oh yeah, baby, let's go. And then Mike crosses out, and it's like, watch TV. <laughs> <laughs>